Support for today's episode comes from Hexclad. I hosted the Jane's Beard Awards um, twice, actually. I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling the truth. And Hexclad is the official cookware of the James Beard Foundation. So I was so happy to hear there are Dinners on Me sponsors. Hexclad has revolutionized the cookware industry with an all-in-one hybrid pan that gives you the convenience and cleanup of nonstick, the versatility of your grandma's cast iron, and the durability to last a lifetime. Whether you want to make that perfect steak dinner on date night or ditch that greasy pan from your college apartment, Hexclad has you covered. James Beard celebrates incredible chefs annually with their prestigious awards that I have had the privilege of handing out. Again, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. And it's no surprise that Hexclad is their official cookware. They are a chef's dream and I, I just, I love cooking with them. I feel so professional when I do. Hexclad also has a lifetime warranty. These are literally the last set of pots and pans you will ever have to buy. Trust me when I say your partner, your family, and all your dinner guests will thank you. So, Chef, now is the time to upgrade that kitchen. For a limited time only, our listeners get 10% off their order with an exclusive link. Just head to hexclad.com slash JTF. Support our show and check them out at hexclad.com forward slash JTF. Bon appetit. Let's eat with Hexclad's revolutionary cookware. This episode of Dinners on Me was recorded prior to the SAG after strike. Hi, it's Jesse. Today on the show, the mogul, Elizabeth Banks. We'll talk about working together on Cocaine Bear, working with Steven Spielberg, and how she's terrible at email. If I don't respond right away, it's because I don't really care. This is Dinners on Me, and I'm your host, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Elizabeth Banks, well, I call her Liz, uh, might hold the title of my longest friendship in Los Angeles. We met on the set of what was her second film and my first. We were young and eager and very, very green to the business of being professional actors. But it was obvious from the get-go that Liz was going to conquer this business. I mean, the confidence that she had, even back then, was otherworldly and mesmerizing. Our friendship only deepened as she became more and more successful in Hollywood. And I remember friends of mine who I was doing theater with in New York City asking me, wait, how do you know Elizabeth Banks? When a job finally brought me to the West Coast, she and her now husband Max graciously opened up their home to me and let me crash in their spare room while I scoured the internet looking for an apartment to rent. I don't have a ton of friendships that span to my early days as an actor, so the few I have maintained are very precious to me and, you know, they keep me humble. I was really excited to sit down with a friend who I not only have so much shared history with, but whose career I admire so deeply. Liz is, well, yes, hilarious and witty, but she's also one of the wisest people I know, and I love hearing her talk about this insane business that we've both chosen to have careers in. So I asked Liz to meet me at one of our favorite restaurant spots in the valley, Petit Trois, a classic French bistro. It has all the greats, steak frites, mussels, pâté. I'm a huge fan of Chef Ludo, and I bring my family here all the time, so it was a great place for us to meet. Let's get into the conversation. So I'm gonna go back to my very, very, very first memory of you. Oh, I was wow. in the hair and makeup trailer. I remember this so vividly for this movie, um, Ordinary Center. And you come in with baked goods for the entire crew. Oh, I did love to bake. Yes, yes. <laughs> I still do. You still do. And I was like, who is this ray of sunshine? <laughs> and you were immediately just so kind to everyone. And even though you weren't, as you told me, number one on the call sheet, there was like this sense of like taking charge and like making sure everyone felt comfortable. There was a maternal quality to you. I definitely, in that period of my life. I was like looking for community. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I left college, I left university. I went to drama school. And while I had a good community at school and I had a good community in drama school, like not a lot of people were like moved to New York or did, you know what I mean? Like, and frankly, the people I went to college with who moved to New York were like bankers, you know, they oh, were interesting. not artists. These they are people that were in your theater program? Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the people in my theater program didn't end up doing theater. Mm -hmm. So I definitely felt a little like, who are my people? Right. <laughs> you know, and and I was 
also dipping a toe into this professional acting business. But you, How do you, who, who, who comes with you on this journey? Do you know right. what I mean? Like, who, well, it's that chosen family of yeah. people that you want to, and, and I just feel like for me, I mean, I, I obviously I love actors and I felt like I found my people. I found my community, especially growing up, you know, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I didn't have that. Like, I was like, oh, these are the people that get me. Yeah. Growing up in the Berkshire, so I, you didn't do like theater at any of these. I did not. I mean, stock I worked. Companies. I've been working since I was twelve years old. I had to make money, and mm. you know, I grew up in Pittsfield, which is in it's in the center of the Berkshires, and you know, I knew about Jacob's Pillow and like Williamstown Theater Festival. Yeah. We go every once in a while, but it was more that like you read reviews in the paper. Like it wasn't something that really my family did on the regular. You come from a like a blue collar. Very, very blue collar. Yeah, my dad worked in the General Electric factory second and third shifts mm -hmm. for 33 years before he retired. He was pink slipped multiple times. You know, we went through the whole late 80s downturn. You know, we he worked for GE Ordnance, which built tanks and like ammunition mm. for war. I, There's um, a handsome waiter here. Yes, there is. Um, should we order food? Yeah, yeah, please. Do you have any questions on anything? I think we're both regulars, aren't we? Yeah, I'm a regular. I, I was like, should I try something I never have? But then I thought, no. If you haven't had it, the warm goat cheese is my favorite personally. I have had it. It's delicious. Yeah, try the final salad. Because yeah, I've never, I haven't had that. Perfect. Would you have pate with me? I will have pate with you. Perfect. Let's have some pate just to have it on the table. Absolutely. Who knows if we'll really eat it. And he's getting the burger. Are you getting a Lamac? I'm going to get the, We're the Mac. We're Yeah. Absolutely. I've been thinking about it all day. Perfect. I'm going to do it. What, yeah. what sparked that interest of like knowing that you wanted to? I had always sang in the choir because I was a pretty good singer. I mean, I, I, I don't even remember this teacher's name, but she kind of saved my life. Um, the choir teacher was like, we're going to do Jesus Christ Superstar. And you can play, I of course wanted to play Mary Magdalene. Of course. Was not a, good female lead. not a good enough singer, apparently. But really what it was, she said, you should play Pontius Pilate because you can wear your walking cast under the long robe. <laughs> and so I did that and it felt amazing. I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And that was like seventh, eighth grade or something. Thank you, thank you. So, and then I did the next show. And then when I went to high school, I was like, what am I going to do after school? I was a latchkey kid, and my parents were like, you're not coming home. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, you got to do something. And so I, I, I just started doing theater. And then I always did it, but I didn't know any artists. Mm -hmm. I, I absolutely went to college. It was class migration for me. You know what I mean? It was like, how do I get out of this? And not that it was for my, I never want my parents to feel like it wasn't great. Mom and dad did a great job. We, yeah, they yeah. made the best of everything. I have a lovely family, as Jesse knows. Yes. I'm close with my parents and my siblings. And I love my town where I grew up. I'm literally going there tomorrow. So I, not, no bad thing, but like, I just saw my parents really struggle with built. You know, we never had a new car. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like, everything was used. I never had a babysitter that wasn't related to me. I always had hand-me-down bikes from all the cousins. and. Right. You know, I didn't go to camp. It was like my dad would look around and be like, this is camp. It's the Berkshires. He's not <laughs> <Go> wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. You know, it's not like, yeah. I, like I learned to ski in a subsidized skiing program. It was like, okay, I, it was idyllic, but I definitely felt like I didn't want to have the, the, that sense of struggle, which was, mm. I felt in my family, you know, mm -hmm. and that my parents were having to make the best of it. I just didn't want that for myself. So I didn't know any artists who who made any money. Right. Like, and then even in college, I didn't know actors who weren't really just waiters, you know, that sure. were like, I'm, you know, auditioning. Yeah, trying yeah, to, yeah. And like, they always, you know, things are cooking. You know, I was like, okay, that's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was a waitress for 10 years. Yeah. And at 24, 25, you're just like, okay, I'm well-educated. Like, I'm either, this is either a real profession that I can mm. make money doing and support myself doing or it's not. And, mm. and I gave myself kind of a time limit, but I made money right away. And that's and really that what happened. And that was mostly from commercial modeling work, and commercial yeah, work. Modeling, yeah, commercials. Yeah, 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 yeah. It seems like, you know, your parents definitely instilled a work ethic. And yeah. that's something I definitely see, like even knowing you now and, and having, you know, worked with you as a director, like I, I know how hard you work. Yeah. And that is, you know, 
very apparent from even an early age. And I, that, that sort of takes me back to like how when I first met you, I was like, you're making these connections with people because you know that that's important. And you know that it's not just important to like have a, a good relationship with your cast members, but it's also important to have a great relationship with the hair and makeup team and the grips yeah. and the director and, and all, all the people who are, you know, doing the wardrobe. I, I see that you've carried that through. And I, it's just kind of remarkable to me that even at such an early age on your second job, which I was able to witness, that you had that sort of instilled in you. I just find it really impressive. Oh, that's so, I, Jesse, you, you always, you kill me. This is why we're friends, because you make me feel so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I love learning. Yeah. I like, I, there's a reason I went to, you know. The fennel salad, thank you. apple, celery, and parmesan. Perfect. And in the middle, yes. got the country pate with pistachio, Amazing. onion jam, and Dijon on the side. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. That's, that's the good stuff too. right here. So I think it's really, I, I will say it's a love of learning, right? Yeah. Also, to be honest, when you go to sets when you're a young actor, you don't have a nice trailer. You're in a, no. what's, what we call a triple banger yeah. at, the, at best. At best. And, you know, you're, you're, you're pooping with everybody else in like the honey wagon, as we yeah. call it. So it's not glamorous. No. And it felt to me like, why would I stay in that room by myself if there's moments of downtime on set? Like, then I want to go, I'm right. curious. Right. I want to go see what's happening at Video Village. Right. I want to go see what the director's doing. I want to go see what the what shots are setting up. I love watching other actors work on movies, that, you know, in scenes that I'm not even in. I just love it. It's how I really, how I met Ray Liotta. Mm. Right? I didn't have any scenes of Ray Liotta in the movie that we made together, the details. I was on set when he was working and I'm riveted by him and just mm-hmm. loved watching him. So think, you know, I think that that was just something I found to be really, I mean, I, and I did it, you know, naively. I did it like, I'm catching me if you can. I just sat in Video Village with like Steven Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, I belong here. Yeah. <laughs> Such yeah. balls. Such balls. So truly. <laughs> Like, I would just like to sit here yeah. and watch you work and see how you're going to set this shot up and watch, you know. Which could also be incredibly annoying, I'm sure, for if, it, if, could, if the it wrong person be. does that. But yeah. I feel like also you, there's something about just your spirit <laughs> that, like, you know that your intentions are good. Like, you're not going to be a nuisance to yeah. have around. I, yeah. I hope I knew to be quiet most yeah. of the time back then. And I really was observing for the most mm-hmm. part, you know. But I remember asking Steven Spielberg what he was interested in doing and him t- telling me that he was interested in doing a musical. And, you know, ultimately, years later, he did West Side, Side Story. Story. Yeah. It was just wild to me. He had that ambition even back then and knew it was something that he wanted to tackle. And I just, I loved also watching. He's so relaxed on his set because he had the absolute best people heading every department, doing sure. every part of it, you know, and he could just really curate the mm-hmm. moments. It was and you could tell he had prepped everything. He knew he was, and he edits the movie in his mind. Mm-hmm. It was, I, I found working with him so interesting. And these interesting. were things that you could, while you were at that young age, and even Pick though you, up, yeah. you picked up on those things. Yeah. When you did move to LA, and we, we were staying in touch, obviously, I remember, obviously, I saw you and Catch Me If You Can. I, you know, watched What Hot American Summer and lost my mind for it, <laughs> bought it on, you know, VHS the minute it was available. The VHS, that's right. <laughs> and then kind of the next like really big thing that was like, oh wow, this this is Liz on another level is when you were the female lead in Seabiscuit. And tell me if I'm remembering this wrong. Did you like petition for the part? Did you, I feel like I remember you telling me that you like wore a wig. Um, <laughs> I, I might be making this part up, but I feel like you, you fought for it in a way that I think required a little bit more than like, I like to be in the room with the people and to have an opportunity. It was a little I, more aggressive I, than that. Well, I wrote a letter. So I grew up going to the racetrack in Saratoga with my dad, mm-hmm. who loves to play the ponies. Which, by the way, I've been to the races with you before. Yes, he, that's right, Jesse You has. took me one time. I don't remember where we were. <laughs> like a it Breeders' Cup, must have been Cup, like in probably. Pasadena or something. We went to Santa Anita, that's yeah. Why I'm just now remembering yep. that. Just a quick quick sidebar. <laughs> Liz is, this might come up later in this conversation, but incredibly, incredibly competitive. <laughs> like to the point of like, it's terrifying. And I just remember you. I think you mean charming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is charming <laughs> until it's not. <laughs> until you're screaming at me at game night. Um... But I do remember you at the races, like when your horses weren't winning and just the-, the Yeah. Oh, so depressing. It was so intense. I was like, wow, this is, I'm, my friend has turned into a monster. <laughs> okay, so circling okay, back. Anyway, 
So I, I knew a lot about horse racing and I just knew that not everybody that was auditioning in my peer group maybe had that information. And right. I just thought it was relevant and that I should write a note to Gary Ross, the director, mm-hmm. that I really felt like I understood, you know, this world and I felt connected to this world in a way that really hopefully was meaningful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, I did. I went out of my way to write a note to Gary Ross, the director. About being in Seabiscuit, and then somehow and got somehow it. Somehow that. Yeah, and I, I, I didn't. I don't think I wore a wig, but I definitely either showed him pictures of me with dark hair, mm-hmm. or like, like you know, as a brunette for sure, because I knew he was casting mm-hmm. a brunette. Mm-hmm. And it was another level for you. Yeah, I mean, the movie I think was nominated for seven Oscars or something. Yeah. <laughs> like it yeah. was the most. And the whole time we were making it, you just knew that it was like a best picture nominee. It just felt that you know. Way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Every aspect of it was like off the charts, you know, the costuming and the production design. And, you know, they came up with the, the grips had like a whole new rig to just shoot like the horse racing mm-hmm. so that Tobey Maguire could ride the horse. It was crazy what they were doing um, in terms of the camera work and stuff. Mm-hmm. They, it was a lot of innovation on that set too. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Beautiful film. Beautiful too. film. I, I'm trying to get my kids to see it. I realize I haven't seen it yet. Do they like? That's one of them. Do they like horse races? They've never been. Really? Well, they're too little. I don't. I. I'm like you. Got to be double digits. Okay. And they're just now like getting there. Maybe okay. I'll take them next year. Have they seen a lot of your work? Hunger um, Games, I imagine. They just. I. Are too just, violent for them? No, they just watched Hunger Games, and I actually just asked them if we could read the books together this summer because oh, we read the all books Harry are great. Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it out loud to them, you know, over uh-huh. the pandemic. And I was like, oh, maybe this summer we'll do The Hunger Games. Yeah. They're just getting old enough where they're like, ugh, I'm waiting for them to just be like, can we just read it ourselves? <laughs> like, I don't think they're going to let me read it to them. And I'm going to be so sad. <laughs> um, they've seen Pitch Perfect. They haven't seen a lot of my work, though. Yeah. Like, my friend kind of forgot and showed his son, his 13-year-old son. The 40-year-old virgin. And then I, like, saw this kid, Sam, who's my who's 13. <laughs> Like, he just was in bar mitzvah. <laughs> and he was like, hey. And I was like, God damn it. This kid knows about the bathtub, the bathtub. and the whole thing. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. Like, But it's so good. You just recently. It's so good, but, like, it's yeah. a lot for, like, my one of our best of friend's course. children to Absolutely. see me in that role. I'm like, oh, boy. I mean, it's, it's worse than my dad seeing it. Like, my dad was yeah. like, yeah, whatever. He knows yeah, I'm a yeah, sexual yeah. being. It's fine. You know, right. I'm an adult. But this kid seeing it, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <horrifying>. yeah. <laughs> and just having to see him in person and look him in the eye. I think also <laughs> just feeling like my my own kids are going to see that. I got to like, some point I got to talk to them about this. Oh, yeah, Lord. Yeah, yeah. it's so it's good. Coming it's, it's coming so fast. It's coming fast. There was um, another one my son wants to see, and I was like, oh, that's got, no, that's got something in it that you can't wet, see. What about Wet Hot American Summer? I mean, Wet Hot is, is so sense? ridiculous. That maybe it's fine because I think so much of it will go over their head. Yeah, Do you yeah, know yeah, they'll just be like, yeah. "What?" Yeah, or they may love it. I don't know. Like they love Spaceballs. They love Mel Brooks. Okay. Like we watched Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. And I feel like while we were watching it, they were like. Okay, like they were a little bored, but man, oh man, do they quote the shit out of that movie afterward? You know, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why you watch those that's movies. Right, that's right. You know, yeah. eat the ham, Tina. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever. You know, it's like that's why you watch those movies. So they get it. They get why things get culty already. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So we'll see what the next one is. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe what? Oh I don't know. God. I gotta think through. I forget a lot of things. Truly, like I yeah. forget like what happens in like some of these movies. I mean, there's been so many movies that I've watched with my my mom and I'm like, oh, I forgot that this is where we're going with this. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden you're watching a sex scene with your parents. Yeah. I've got the Big Mac double cheeseburger. Holy moly. I know. I'm surprised. I know. We're just going to like dip and dip. This is um, Chef Ludo's very famous burger. It's, it looks like it's sitting in gravy. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a A1, yeah, it's but like, like A1 homemade sauce. A1 sauce. Mm-hmm, that's right. I mean, it's a smash burger, too, I yeah, believe. Yeah, smashed. There's definitely two patties here, and it's just like got a lot of jammy condiments some on it already. Condiments, some and cheese, it's delicious. Queso. There's cheese involved, but it all kind of like, it doesn't look like a burger that you would get from like any no. other burger place. No. No. Also, like a brioche sweet bun. Thank you so much. We're getting all the condiments. All the condiments. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. 
This is definitely a fork and knife burger. Yeah, fork and knife. That's how you eat that for sure. You can't put your hands on it. Uh-uh. And now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, Liz talks about taking on directing and conquering her fears or lack thereof because Liz is basically fearless. Okay, be right back. Don't you just love it when someone looks at you and says, hmm, something's different about you. What were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake than ever. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and wider for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes, and you know you can trust them because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lohm, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying, something's different about you, but in the best possible way. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. Liz and I were just talking about some of her iconic films, such as Wet Hot American Summer and Pitch Perfect. But now I want to segue into other roles, like how she ended up playing First Lady Laura Bush. You know, in figuring out, like, what is a career in Hollywood look like, right. you know, because I was a little dissatisfied, frankly, with what was coming my way. Right. And, um, and then the most amazing thing happened. So... Bruce Willis was supposed to be in a movie about Vietnam or something for Oliver Stone. Okay. And when we cast him in Surrogates, he fell out of that Oliver Stone movie. Mm. And Oliver Stone had some financiers who wanted to finance an Oliver Stone movie. And now he didn't have his Bruce Willis vehicle. So he decided to make W instead. Oh, wow. And then I auditioned for Laura Bush, mm-hmm. which I then played in W. Yes. So by giving Bruce Willis the surrogate's job, I didn't just produce that. I produced myself <laughs> right into an Oliver Stone movie. Wow. Because that opportunity would never have opened up if we hadn't cast oh, so Bruce Willis. And so it was just wild. So I actually didn't end up even going to the set as much on surrogates because I was busy making W in Shreveport, Louisiana. Wow, I had no idea that's how that yeah. all went down. Isn't that crazy? That's fascinating. How that works. Yeah. It's also, it, I think it just takes a lot of foresight and faith in yourself to like kind of come into this industry and say, I'm going to try and carve out a niche in the, the producing side of this and like Jesse, basically you, there's create no a- plan. You know, I just remember thinking to myself like, okay, well, I committed I'm here. I'm not right. going anywhere. Right. This is what I've decided is my life. Mm-hmm. So how do I make the most of it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I not, I don't want to sit around, wait for jobs, wait for people. And, and it's what you were just saying about access and clout. It's funny because when we first started, we talked about producing as like a three-legged stool. And we were like, you, ha- you know, the three legs are you have to have access. You have to have access in Hollywood. I, you looked around, you're like, well, I've met all these agents and I've met all these producers and I've met these directors that I've worked with and I know these actors. So, okay, I obviously have access to people. I got numbers in, the, in my Rolodex. So that's one. And then two was taste. Here's the thing. Taste is totally subjective. Yeah. In that some people's taste is like the Wizards of Waverly Place, which is very successful in its own thing. Just not what I wanted to make, but like my taste was, I like this, I like this, and I see what the audience is and I see why this is interesting, you know. Clarity of vision of what that taste is. Clarity of vision and like what the the storytelling is and who it's for and things like that. That all gets wrapped into taste. 
And then the last thing is clout. And yeah. clout is the thing that takes, it's the hardest thing to build because you have to make things in order to have clout. You can't make things without clout. So that's the catch-22. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing is what you were just saying, which is understanding how to expend your energy, what to care about, what to collaborate on, what to know that you don't have... Con control over and also what to cut loose when it's what not to cut loose oh it's the best feeling yeah. it's like a weight lifted off your shoulders yeah, you yeah, know yeah i mean like i'm not the best i'm a terrible communicator uh, uh, on a so? lot of levels i don't know i don't think i'm that great <laughs> i mean i'll let emails come into my inbox and i'm just like eh. well that like, i understand if i don't respond right away it's because i don't really care <laughs> I, you know what i mean and i have to i've really had to be clear but is max better at that does he do the, the no, responding no i mean <laughs> i don't think either of us are great at it but i guess the point is like when we get something in the inbox that we respond to right away it's because it's not just because we have time it's because we've decided oh mm. that's worth a minute right mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. um that sparks me you yeah. know that excites me in some way yeah. but that's just that all also comes doing this so much that you get to keep doing it. You get a lot more opportunities as things sure. come and you have to figure out how you're going to spend your time. I mean, that to me, that was always the definition of success, getting to choose how I spend my time. I want to know, so I know that your next kind of big directing opportunity was Pitch Perfect 2. Yes. Our friend, mutual friend Jason Moore directed the first one. I had directed like a couple little other things and I had done a lot of the behind the scenes um, vignettes for Pitch Perfect, the first movie. And it was definitely an ambition of mine. I was putting it out there. I was looking for scripts. Actually, Abraham Higginbotham, our other mutual mm -hmm. friend, had written a, a script. He was a writer on Modern Family. Yeah. He was a writer on Modern Family. He wrote a script that I loved, that I was interested in working on. And um, we kind of had a little conversation about, yes, it was my ambition, and I was looking at things, et cetera, et cetera. And then she sort of said, well, are you considering doing Pitch Perfect? And at the time, Jason was, you know, my choice. And... I was like, I blah, blah, you know, and then our co-producer uh, on the film, this guy, Paul Brooks, who had watched me do what I was doing, mm -hmm. I think was instrumental in sort of saying like, she can do it. And, um, and so, yeah, I remember the studio called and said, we've decided that a, a young female director should take over Pitch Perfect. And I was like, I'm so glad to hear you say I'm young. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, Talk to me about like the pressure of that though, because Pitch Perfect, the the original one, yeah. was very successful. Yeah. Okay. For example, like f I, I have deep fear of failure, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that's why I think I think I need that fear to like sort of even this podcast is a perfect example of something that someone told said I think you can do this, and I then took the reins and, and went with it. Yeah. But I don't know if I would have necessarily said, uh, put me in coach. Yeah. Was there intense pressure around directing something that had been established as? A hit. I mean, was there fear of screwing it up? Was there fear of... No, no I love that. <laughs> I love it. Well, the team mm -hmm. was all put together. And, you know, I was on set every day for the first one. So I'd seen how Jason did it. Uh -huh. And I knew, I knew the players involved, you know. Mm -hmm. I knew how the music stuff worked, which I never would have known without Jason's help. You know, he set me up for success in a mm -hmm. huge way. And um, set the whole franchise up for success, obviously. And... So, no, I knew I could do it. I mean, ever since I'd been sitting next to Steven Spielberg, you know, in Video Village and mm -hmm. just sort of taking in all of this information that I just was ready to employ, you know? And I had done, I did a, a little funnier die short with Adam Scott at one point, and I'd done a couple other little things here and there, and, and I just was ready. Like, I was ready. Now, that being said, is it the smartest thing to make your first film a giant musical <laughs> with a huge ensemble cast. I mean, ginormous cast. Yeah. Um, at one point, the Teamsters of Louisiana told us that we had the biggest base camp they'd ever set up. Are you serious? Yeah. There were overhead photos of it on the news. That's oh how big God. the base camp was. We'd, so we had every trailer available in Louisiana at the time. Wow. So we, it was an absolutely ginormous endeavor. And I that I didn't really understand. I just knew I had a great support group around me. I had Max with me, you know, and I just felt like, yeah, I knew I could make it funny. I mean, I knew yeah. that my tone, I could put my stamp mm -hmm. in the movie and I didn't really worry about it. And also, to be honest, it's really nice doing a, a sequel first because you know that people love it. They're on board They're for the concept. They were into you don't have it. to sell it to them. Yeah. yeah, like I, it was not fear. It was definitely fear of like, 
not fear of like doing a bad job on the movie. It was definitely fear of like fucking up for the audience that loved pitch, you know, like, could we do it again? And could we like, what's the next level? What was the level up? And that was hard to figure out. Like, is there a level up for this? And, um, I think we found it, but absolutely. I mean, it's, listen, it was wildly successful. Yeah, and uh, it'll probably it, be the most successful thing I ever make. Uh, I don't yeah, know. my first thing will be. I I don't think I'll ever top it. Well, let's talk about that. So, like, I did this play in New York not too long ago that I love the script for so much. It's written by this Pulitzer Prize finalist. It was directed by this Tony Award-winning director at um, a theater I've always wanted to work at. I loved working on it. I was having the greatest time in rehearsal. It was designed gorgeously, beautiful set. Could not wait for audiences to come and see it. Yeah. They did not like it. They were not into this play. (laughs) The reviews were not great. I had close friends who were like, "Mm, not my favorite. Like, and it destroyed me. And let me tell Did you why. it I mean, shake your it confidence in like what you... Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it was. Yeah. And it like made me question yeah. like my taste. Yeah. But this is a thing. Yeah. I still stand by it. Great. I loved it. Yes. I, I, I think it was great. I think the message was great. I think it challenged audiences. I think it was beautifully directed. I'm so proud of this production. Yeah. How that, do you manage disappointment okay, when because things don't go the way you're supposed there, to go? that's all there is, Jesse. Yeah. The process is the destination. Yeah. There is for an artist, like you did all the art part of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. you made the thing, you collaborated, you found the character, you did your research, you were in it and you felt it, you know, you brought yourself to it, you brought your soul to it. Like yeah. that is what artists are supposed to do. You did your job. Yeah. And that it didn't connect with every, I mean, it must have connected with somebody sure. i mean by the way sure. people put money into that show like and you weren't the only one yeah, yeah, yeah. who no, thought sure. it was like an endeavor worth doing right no absolutely but you know you can admit like moments pass we're not in a fixed moment ever so i also think that we want to make things that are meant to last mm-hmm. but not everything does and sometimes you're just addressing like what you needed to do in the moment mm-hmm. what you connected to as an artist in that moment mm-hmm. and maybe that moment passed and it wasn't what the audience needed to connect to yeah. in that moment there's many reasons why things like yeah. come and go through time right. so you i i learned very early on you just have to love the process yeah that's the main that's what we're what we're doing and if it connects audiences all the better of course we want it to but also it goes along with just wanting to be liked well that's part of it also like opportunity you know i mean for me at that time with this play you know like i had been doing a part on modern family for so long and i was excited to sort of play this other part Mm -hmm. and it didn't work out and i thought i know it's worse for women but i was like i'm given an opportunity and it didn't pan out like Will I be given an opportunity again? Will I be given again? another one again? Yeah. And I, I, Is this going to happen again? Was exactly, that it? Was that exactly. Or have I, like, have I tainted yeah. my reputation in some way? I get that feeling. I do. I really do. I have a lot of empathy for it. But mm-hmm. I also am like, Jesse, you, the privilege to even be able to explore a character with your fellow artists in a room and put it on its feet. Mm-hmm. Remember when that was like, Oh yeah. my God, like that's like you yeah. get to do that. And yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. could be an understudy. You might yeah. never no, even right. show it to anybody. And you were like, it was, you feel amazing. Yeah. I remind myself, like the young people that are coming up, mm-hmm. like what they would love to be doing. And yeah. I remember being on set of 30 Rock in a scene with Alan Alda and Tina and Alec and me and Elaine Stritch. <laughs> And if you told my drama school self that yeah. Elaine Stritch would like be yelling at me in any <laughs> capacity, I mean, I like I c- couldn't worship someone more. I know. And like, rest in peace. Just that moment in my life is like, yeah. just hold on to that. I don't know if anything no, happens it's, after. It's you're like so all right. gravy. You know? You're so right. And even like, you know, going back to like, you know, me like moving to New York for the first time, if I said I was going to work with a Pulitzer Prize yes. finalist with a Tony Award winning director and like that alone is the prize. It's like, you know, for I sure. Mean, no, I totally get it. I totally people understand. People are still talking about Putnam County Spelling Bee. True. Yes. You know? Well, I mean, I mean, that was iconic. You were <laughs> iconic. Literally. <laughs> Oh you gosh. know, so I, I, I've just gotten over it. I'm like, you know, just keep marching forward. I don't know. No, it's it's I, all part of, the, of experience. You're an amazing and... entertainer. There's no doubt about it. And you're not going anywhere. And like, I, that's this is what I mean yeah. by like, when I sort of looked around, I was like, I'm committed. I'm here. Mm-hmm. You can keep trying to get rid of me, but it's right. not going to happen. I'm just yeah. going to keep doing it because yeah. 
I like doing it. I love yeah. telling stories and I love entertaining people. I love yeah. making people laugh. And these, it's the little moments, you know, I make it for like, you know, if you, if you change one or two people's lives, like, isn't it worth it? Yeah. No, you're right. So that's you're like, so right. I don't know, that's the attitude I try and bring to everything. Now for a quick break, but don't go away. Coming up, Liz talks about her new film, The Beanie Bubble, which I had a chance to see, and it is hilarious. Check it out in theaters now and on Apple Plus on July 28th. Okay, be right back. Sad? Lonely? Dating life in the dumps? Want to spice things up? Well, me too. I'm Nicole Byron. I host the podcast, Why Won't You Date Me? See, listen, I have been single my whole dang life, and I can't figure out why. So on my podcast, I talk to comedians, actors, dating professionals, and even ex-lovers to discuss their dating life and figure out my own. We cover things like app dating, first date horror stories, sexcapades gone wrong. Truly, nothing is off the table. Whether you're single, dating, or in a relationship, there's something fun for everyone. Subscribe and listen to Why Won't You Date Me with me, Nicole Byer, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. We are going to talk about Cocaine Bear. Because um, it's my favorite. I think, did I tell you that when I, when I was done filming my stuff in Cocaine Bear, I called Jess and was like, how's it going? Well, he was with me in Ireland when we were filming it. Yeah. I said, I only want to do Cocaine Bear for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, I mean, Pitch Perfect and uh, Charlie's Angels were both scripts that you sort of said, I want to do this. What was it like chasing after something that was Charlie's I developed from zero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you I, brought it in. So what was it like chasing after someone else's script? Cocaine Bear was something you read early yeah. days of the pandemic mm-hmm. and you went after it. You know, just making that call and being like, is this real? Do you guys want to make this? Because I, I kind of love it and I, I think it could be great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you make that call to people who know you and trust you and believe you, like, let's talk about it for real in a real way. You know, get down to the business side of it, which is how you have to start those conversations, meaning... Um, what's the budget? Who's making the bear? How are mm-hmm. we doing this bear? It was all about the bear at the right, beginning. You know what I mean? Like I, I knew in my mind's eye that Margot Martindale was gonna play Ranger Liz, <laughs> but no one else knew that. <laughs> you know, um, like you know, I had some ideas. Yeah. Uh, but you just sort of get started. You just start collaborating. Like, yeah. what about this? What about this? What about this person? And you just start having meetings, and you just start getting people excited, and you start building the momentum and. You know, just that's how it works. I talked about this when I was doing press for for Cocaine Bear, so it sort of came out. But I don't know if I ever told you in person, but I wasn't on Twitter at the time, and you put out a tweet saying, I'm doing this movie called Cocaine Bear. Who wants to be in it? Justin sometimes runs my Twitter and my Instagram, and uh, I have TikTok. I've never seen it. It's not on my phone. (laughs) I don't know. He'll like... Take, you and I are so similar. Yeah, he'll take like banked footage of me and put on TikTok and like I'll wake up in the morning. He's like, oh, you were viral last on TikTok. I'm like, is that good? I don't even know. But you had tweeted, you know, who wants to be a cocaine bear? And Justin responded mm-hmm. on my behalf, like me with like, you know, an emoji of like mm-hmm. a little person raising their hand. And yeah. it, 10 minutes later, you, you call me. You kind of launched right into this pitch for cocaine bear <laughs> as if I had if knew, you something, knew something about it. Yeah. And I was like faking it for a little while because I was like, I don't know what she's, I know that it's, it's a job offer, so I'm just gonna like listen. <laughs> so I was just taking in information and you pitched me this movie, you sent me the script and within like three pages, I was like, oh, if, I, if someone's asking me to do this film, I'm absolutely <laughs> doing this film. I was so, first of all, honored to be a part of it. So, I mean, in kind of the way that I was talking about the play, like I wanted to desperately have a departure from Mitchell. Yes. I was like, this is, 
truly a departure <laughs> from Mitchell. Also, there was a, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the trailer had come out and there was all these like great write-ups about the trailer itself. People were so excited about it and someone was like, Cocaine Bear has everything. Margot Martindale, a coked up bear, Jesse Tyler Ferguson in a fat suit. I was like, oh. <laughs> like I wasn't wearing a fat suit. I had a harness for my stunts and it was a pandemic. So I think those two things combined gave me That's a few hilarious. pounds. Oh my God. I'm... So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go with it. Yes, it wore a fat. I gained weight for the role. Um, You're a very committed actor. Yes, it's yes, true. yes. So when that, I saw that tweet, I, I literally turned to Max and I was like, do you think Jesse would actually do it? <laughs> and because I needed someone to play Peter. But I love that you just saw the opportunity of what it could be. Yeah. And that, the other thing was, I just knew you would come to play. You yes. know, that it was, it was, I was not going to worry about like, will he get in the harness? I was like, mm. he's going to relish it. Yes. You know? And that's what I was looking for in the cast. I just needed people who came, who, gonna who understood the, the tone. Yes, the tone is all like, guys, there's a guy in a suit over here. <laughs> there's yeah. no bear. Well, you're going to pretend there's a guy climbing up. You're going to be on these walls. Like, all this is, you know, yeah. I, I'm yelling lines to you. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. You know, I'm making bear sounds. Yes, yes. <laughs> in through a microphone. Yeah. Like, you know, it's silly as hell. And I need people who can play it as real as possible. Yeah. And um, so just knowing that you would come and be super game. And I, I'll be honest, I also, I knew you'd like the script. I mean, I'm like, he'll think the script's hilarious. Yeah, it was fantastic. Like we, I know read, you well it, enough yeah. to know what that our taste is not like yeah. wildly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you like. And you and I have seen horror movies together. Yes, we have, yeah. So we, I knew you like these kinds of movies. Yeah. So um, anyway, that... It was I, I such a blessing. Just, you're just such a blessing. I, I was blessed that you asked me to do it. I had, I definitely had a full circle moment though because I kind of went, you know, getting to work with you. Obviously, we worked together on Modern Family, and I got to play with you on that, and you were sort of on my turf, and it yeah. was so like we wonderful. forget, we forget about the pilot that we tested for. That was oh, you. What was that? It was a variety show for Fox. Yes. And you and I. That's tested to host right. it together. That's right. I totally <laughs> forgot about this until yeah. this. I always forget about this. I do too. I always did that too. ever get made? I don't think it did. Oh, that was a missed opportunity. I know. You and I would have been Come amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we would have fucking killed it. We would have killed it. Yeah. Um, it was a variety show for Fox, oh and you and I were going to be the hosts right. of it. Right. And it was just all like dumb improv and like he is so and so the dead and like wearing out, like I think we were supposed to like come out in wigs and stuff. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. just going to be wild. It was going to be like the Carol Burnett show back in right. the day, you know, right, right. which we I know oh, you and I both worship. If someone is listening and thinks that that was a good idea. Talk yeah, we'll to do us. it. We'll, we'll do, do it. it. <laughs> We've gotten an opportunity to like play together a little bit, but like I was to to work with you as an actor and a film that you were directing, I definitely had that full circle moment of like wandering into that little room behind your kitchen yeah. and be like, what's this magical thing that, <laughs> that Banks and Max have set up? And then I was a part of that world and I felt so honored and blessed to be like trusted with that. And, you know, we also were shooting in Ireland and it was like Carrie Russell and, and Margot Martindale and Matthew Reese. And, um, and it was just this like really fun group of people. And we were just, you know, after filming, we would just go to the pubs and, yeah. and drink Aperol spritzes and, <laughs> and have beers. And it was just a truly blessed experience. It, was, I, it was an existence that I feel like we all needed mm -hmm. in the pandemic and feeling like, oh, right, there's a community of fun people that want to make things and mm -hmm. just have a ball and entertain people. It was what I needed. And I remember when I read it feeling like, oh, this is what I need to see in a theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Um, speaking of jobs that just bring a lot of joy, um, I just watched The Beanie Bubble last night. <gasps> you did? Gave, that's the perk of like having a podcast. Oh they my give gosh, you, you they get send to you see screeners. <laughs> it's so yeah, they, it visually, turned out great. visually, it's gorgeous. The story's fantastic. It's about Ty Warner, uh, who was the founder of Beanie Babies mm -hmm. back in the day, and the craze over Beanie Babies, uh, which sort of coincided with the beginning of the internet yep, and the online the internet, sales eBay. and eBay and all that, and and create which created this sort of secondary market. And but it's really you know about the idea in America that if it's too good to be true, it probably is, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a little bit of that. 
story as well. And also about how behind every great man, there's three great women Absolutely. doing all the, the hard work. Yes. There's, well, I think <laughs> if not more. they wanted to definitely like pull apart this idea of the mythological, like single great guy, you know, yeah. Tim Cook, you know, yeah. Jeff Bezos. It's yeah. like, there's hundreds of people supporting, yeah. you know, the, yes. the big man at the top. And so um, this is definitely a, a great story about the women who helped Ty Warner figure out how to make billions of dollars. He's still a billionaire. Yeah, of still course around, he is. You know, yeah. Still a great toy man. Yeah. Great yeah. entrepreneur. But, you know, but didn't do it on, a, on his own. For sure, for sure. But I also love that I feel like your mission statement just as a person who's putting art out into the world. You, there is also, without being heavy-handed, it seems to be a sense of responsibility to obviously be pro-female, um, that you do mm-hmm. that in your work, you do that in the way you handle a set. I love that you showed up during Cocaine Bear in a dress. <laughs> and I think it's you know something that, like, I had just come off of working on another film with another female director. And, like, I just, I, I love that I got these back-to-back experience with, like, these shirts footed badass women who just like knew how to run the ship and I just I also love that in this movie it's like you're playing another woman who's just taking charge and who is refusing to be erased and I mean I know that you make a lot of films with women and that innately turns it into whatever it's going to be but I think you know at the end of the day you're just looking to make great films that happen to have these messages. I think it's inherent in what I'm interested in in characters, right? Like, I like to say, like, I try not to swing at pitches that I can't hit. And I think that in order to play things successfully, you have to see something in the character that, that's aspirational for you, that you aspire to, maybe that isn't actually part of you, but that you wish it was, right? Because mm-hmm. then you really get to play on something. Just generally, I like characters that have agency, and I like to tell stories about characters where the women especially have agency. And, and that is in direct reaction to, I think, growing up with the 80s movies where, like, there were girl movies. You know, there were the John Hughes, like, you know, 16 Candles. and Ventures and Babysitting. You know, Ventures and Babysitting, exactly. And, like, Don't Tell Mom, the Babysitter's Dead. (laughs) And, like, you know, those were the characters that I was watching, you know, that I related. I was like, oh, my God. But I also related to, like, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Yeah. So when people, you know, I wanted to be Han Solo. And... So when I watch those movies, I never, I never, ever, not for one second wanted to be Princess Leia. Yeah. I, it, she did not, I did not relate to that character. <laughs> I know she saved. was, I know she was running the resistance guys, yeah. but you know, in those movies, like she, it wasn't about her. And I just felt like the rakish, charming, you know, guy who can really fly the, the Millennium Falcon in whatever four parsecs. I don't know. Guys, <laughs> don't get on me about what the fuck it is. <laughs> Um, you know, that was the, that was me, you know, I wanted to be that, that character. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but you know, when you, you look back at sort of like what the best picture winners were over like the last hundred years or whatever, very few of them are female led stories. Mm -hmm. Very few. In fact, I think it's like seven and Nomadland just added to that list. So what we were honoring as a culture, especially in the eighties when I was really consuming that stuff was, you know, action movies. It was Schwarzenegger and Mel Gibson and, you know, Mad Max and all the Terminators. That's what we were watching. Like, you know, Die Hard, like one of my all-time greatest favorite movies. But like The Fugitive, you know, like any of those movies. And so I came into Hollywood being like, that's good enough for me. And then I started playing those roles of like the girlfriend in a lot of movies. Had an amazing time. I don't regret doing any of those things. Don't regret the Florida Virgin. Don't regret, you know, I worked with amazing people like Wahlberg and like all these fun, did, played a lot of fun characters, but like was the wife, was the Laura Bush of yeah. the piece. Yeah. And at a certain point, like that's not how I live my actual life. I'm not on the sidelines of my life. No, I'm not, not like sitting around like supporting some dude going through his situation. Like I'm in charge. Yeah. And so I just needed to find those characters where I actually just felt I was a little more in charge. Like that is more me, you know, mm. it just, I didn't feel like I was myself in a lot of those movies. Mm. I remember in Seabiscuit, we were having a hard time Jeff Bridges, who's so lovely and the greatest, I mean, just amazing. I learned so much. But he was constantly putting his arm around me, always had me like next to him, you know, as the wife, Marcel. I played his wife in that, in Seabiscuit, which if you haven't seen, please see. And Gary was like, I don't know what's going on. Like you two, I just feel like, ugh. And he was frustrated 
because I think because he just felt like we were, it wasn't, it just wasn't working. Like we weren't meant to be that kind of couple. And I literally remember saying, I suggested, it was so against me in that moment in time. I was like, I just got to say this out loud. I was like, he should take his armor off me. He should walk ahead and then I'll follow behind him. Mm. Like he's the guy I'm here to support. When I'm standing next to him all the time, I just knew that it looked like we were doing together when I was there to support him. Mm -hmm. And I know that visually what wasn't working was that exact thing. Mm -hmm. And I literally can point to the moment in the movie when it happens, you can see it. We're leaning up against a car and then he walks over to see the horse and then I follow like, oh, what's he interested in? And it was on set that day that I was like, and I remember Gary being like, that's it. Mm. Like, stop putting your arm around her. Interesting. (laughs) And and really what it was, was me going, I'm my own person. Yeah. I'm not part of you. Yeah. We're two separate characters. Yeah. And, and it was nothing against Jeff. It was just Jeff's, you know, perception was like, he needed me and his wife was dead in the movie. I'm his second wife in the movie. And I know that for his character, he felt like he needed me so badly. But I felt like what was getting frustrating about that as an idea was like, we couldn't sustain that for the whole movie because sure. it's also about us becoming, you know, this supportive, like, couple and, like, Somewhere that's just not how people are, you know? Yeah. You, don't, yeah. you don't have your arm around your partner all the time. Right. So I just remember... That's the kind of moment where I was like, I'm my own per- I yeah. still to this day, I'm like, that's what I'm fighting for with all my characters, to be my that. own fucking person. I love that. Thank you for coming out to lunch with me in our neighborhood. I love it. Thank you for having me. It was the easiest thing to do. Just come down from the hill and have lunch at our favorite restaurant. That's right. A place we already, already, already always go. And don't worry, dinner's on me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Next time on Dinners on Me, you've seen her on Girls 5 Eva and on Broadway in Waitress. It's Sarah Bareilles. We'll get into growing up feeling like an outsider, finding her calling as a singer-songwriter, and how Waitress changed her whole life. And if you don't want to wait until next week to listen, you can download that episode right now by subscribing to Dinners on Me Plus. As a subscriber, you not only get access to new episodes one week early, you'll also be able to listen to them completely ad-free. Just click Try Free at the top of the Dinners on Me show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today. Dinners on Me is a production of Neon Hum Media, Sony Music Entertainment, and A Kid Named Beckett Productions. It's hosted by yours truly. It's executive produced by me and Jonathan Hirsch. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Chloe Chobel is our associate producer. Sam Baer engineered this episode. Hans Dale She composed our theme music. Our head of production is Sammy Allison. Special thanks to Alexis Martinez and Justin Makita. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Join me next week.